Good morning, church, and uh, happy Sabbath. Nice to see you all again, and I uh, especially like to welcome our visitors this morning. And uh, my, some of my family members are here from Melbourne, so welcome. And uh, of course, those that are here with, for the first time, uh, I'd like you to, be, uh, to feel welcomed and comfortable uh, in our church. Yes, uh, there are some still not here because of uh, different reasons, sicknesses and so on. And uh, um, of course, living on this uh, earth is not easy. Um, we all go through some sort of hardships at some stage in our lives. You know, it's interesting... Um, how prior to, um, you know, coming up here and standing here, I didn't think I could probably do it. I was lying in the car, I had terrible sinus uh, problems, all my teeth were hurting. And then, you know, as the time came for me to stand up here, everything's gone. You know, that tells me that God's word is so important to him. You know, he wants it to be preached, he wants it to be shared, and... Uh, I would just like to encourage you, study it, share it with others, preach it, because that's what God wants. Anyway, this morning I'd like to, um, the message for today is lost in church. Now the question for me was, how can someone that is coming to church all their life be lost? You know, I've been, uh, I've been baptized when I was 18 and... Uh, I won't tell you how old I am now, but it's been a long time ago. <laughs> now, it would be a great disappointment if after all this time, coming to church, I get lost. I don't make it. Can that be possible? <clears throat> I would like to start this study by saying this. For anyone of us to get salvation... It is not enough just to join a church. I'll repeat it. So for any one of us to gain salvation is not enough to become a member of some church. There is no salvation in having our names on a church roll. And there is no salvation in being a member. So right now we need to ask ourselves some questions, and here we go. First, does God look at me and does he regard me as his child? When God looks at me, does he regard me as his child? Does he regard me as his servant? And does he regard me as his faithful witness? That is... Very important questions that we need to ask ourselves. Another question is, I have to ask myself, am I a real Christian? Have I fully surrendered my life to Christ and to his will? Or am I just a nominal Christian? Am I a Christian in name only? <clears throat> Let us turn to uh, our scripture and we'll read uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. The Bible says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but what? 
but who does the will of my Father in heaven? So it's not enough to say, Lord, Lord, just to say that. Now, the text is very clear, and Jesus does not sugarcoat and pat his hearers with what he said. He never tried to please anyone by sugarcoating his words. You know, Jesus did not beat around the bush. As a matter of fact, he told it to the people straight out as is. And that is how we should do it also. We should not either beat around the bush and sugarcoat serious messages. As we read, it is not enough to only call Jesus Lord, Lord. That's what he said. It's not enough. It's not enough because there must be a response in our lives. Words are cheap. There has to be more to it. Because we cannot just say things and never do anything. Jesus said, yes, I will save you by my grace because you cannot work your own way to heaven. And if you let me save you by my grace, then you will do something. You will do the right things. You will obey my word and you will live for me. Now that is our response. Verse 22 has more to say. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Have you noticed how many will say that? It says many. That's sad. Because many in this congregation will be saying that one day. But what will Jesus say back to them? And what will they say to Jesus? Didn't we do this and didn't we do that in your name? Let's have a look, verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's terrible to be told that, isn't it? after you thought and you were convinced that you were doing God's will and he says, I never knew you. It's a very, it's a very serious saying that Jesus said to them or to us one day. It is serious because he wasn't just talking to anyone. He was not just talking to an ordinary person on the street. As a matter of fact, he was talking to religious people of the day. He was talking to preachers, and he was talking to healers. He was talking to wonder workers, and he said to them, you might have used my name to do all these things, but that doesn't change the fact that I don't know you. You see, in his time, Jesus saw a religion filled with Ideas only. He saw people saying one thing and living another. He saw all that, especially in religious leaders. 
And that is why he spoke to religious leaders and to church members. He spoke to those that took great pride in belonging to the main church of the day. He said to them, you cannot be just a nominal Christian. You cannot be a Christian in name only. Because not everyone that calls me Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus said, it is not enough to go around telling people that you love me. It is also not enough to go around using my name. And it is certainly not enough to be just a church member. So if that is the case, then who is going to make it, Lord? I'm sure it's a question on, on, many, people, on many people's minds. Who will be saved and who will be in your kingdom? You see, my friends, only those will be saved that do, not, that do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. That's what Jesus said. Only those will be saved that do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. But Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And did we not in your name cast out devils? And did we not in your name do many wonderful works. Then Jesus will say unto them, I never knew you. I don't know you now and I didn't know you then. But there is one thing that I knew about you. And that is that you were like the barren fig tree. And we all know that Jesus was disappointed with a barren fig tree. You see, the pastor and the elders did know that you were that. Your neighbors did know that either. But I knew. I knew all about you. But to know you as my child, I never did. Because there was never, there's never been such a relationship. It's terrible to be told that. Matthew 7, 13 to 14 says, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way, which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now, what kind of a gate is a narrow gate? Is that gate wide and easy gate? Not at all, actually. As a matter of fact, it is austere. It is difficult. And it is a strict gate. But nonetheless, Jesus is saying, enter by the narrow gate. Even though it's hard, it's difficult. But, you know, we might be arguing about it because we don't like it. And because we don't like it, we sometimes tend to argue with God. And why do we do it? We do that because we want an easy religion. We like to be in a, in a church where we can keep doing what we want. We like a church where we don't have to give up anything. Anything. 
We like a church where the preacher will say pleasant things to us. Where he would talk about politics and social issues. Where he would tell jokes and make us laugh. And where he will not read to us a straight message from the Bible. We just simply don't want a church that is too strict. And yet Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. Because the way to God's kingdom is hard and narrow. And we as Christians should not be surprised at that. Because some of us have seen it and experienced it already. Maybe not in a drastic way, but some have. Tell me, what concept, what kind of concept do we have of God? How do we see God? Do we see God as someone who winks and grins like someone silly? Is that God? Or as someone who indulges in alcohol every now and then? Or as someone who indulges in other things of life? Do we see God standing around telling jokes with a cigar in his mouth, pleasing the crowd? Is that God? Is that how you see him? Dear friends, our God is high and lifted. Even the smallest sin is an offense to him. Our God is the very personification of holiness and perfection. You know that the angels who have never seen come into his presence with reverence. Do we? And yet we dare to joke about him. We think that we can spit in his face all week long, do whatever we like by openly disobeying him. And then make up for it on the weekend, on a Sabbath morning with a big offering. Now that does it. That fixes everything. Brothers and sisters, dear friends, let us not fool ourselves. God is not like that. You see, the way to hell and to damnation is broad and easy. It's easy. You don't have to try hard at all. Therefore, if we don't want to make any sacrifice and if we don't want to give up anything, then we need to find a church that will let us do whatever we like. The kind of church will let us do whatever we like if we want to gamble. Yes, we can gamble. As a matter of fact, I can help you out. Every Tuesday night at 8 p.m., there might be bingo, there might be something else. But if we want to go to heaven, then that is something else. You see, we might get our name on a church roll somewhere, but that will not mean that we will be going to heaven. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate and follow the strict way. But in turn, we might say, but I am weak. Sure we are. We are weak. But God is strong. And we might say, I cannot make it. But the good news is that he can. And he can help us do it. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and open, opens the door, 
I will come in and sup with him and he with me. So what is Jesus saying? Open the door. I want to come into your life. That's what Jesus wants. And when he is in our life, and when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens then? Then we will be able to live right. So when we let Jesus come into our lives, and when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then we will be able to live right. So there is a way to do it, brothers and sisters. And that is the only way that we are able to gain the victory over our weaknesses and our faults. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, isn't this encouraging? So how many things can we do? What does it say? All. Not some. Not one. But all. But how? How can we do it? Read it. Through Christ who strengthens me. You know, we often, I often wonder, how did Jesus manage to be 33 years on this planet living among all kinds of sinful people and be sinless? But that was, that's our answer. You see, if God is not able to give us victory, then he should get off his throne. And we should close all churches and not waste our time. Why come here? Also, if God cannot give us victory over sin, then he is not what he says that he is. But the great thing is that he can give us victory. And he can do that because he is a mighty God. But he can do that only when we really want it and when we really ask for it. You know, Jesus will not force the victory upon us. It's never going to happen that way. And he will not force us to be saved because forcing someone is not God's way. And you know, we have an option. We are free to go to hell if we want to. It's our choice. We are told to ask and we shall receive. We are told to seek and we shall find. We are told to knock and the door shall be open unto you. Dear friends, when we join up with Jesus, he will then help us to bear our burdens. And he will never give us more than we are able to, to bear. Yes, there is victory through Jesus. And there is power with God. And the good thing is that we don't have to slave to sin or to evil habits. Because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And that is the kind of savior we are talking about this morning but you know but the sad truth is that there are many of us who don't want victory we don't want victory because we want to continue in our sins 
and if we want to compromise. We want to carry on the way we always have done. We like it, and it suits us. And at the same time, we want to keep our names on the church roll. I have seen that. There are names on church roll that those people not even hear, let alone what they're doing in their lives. And why do we do that? We do that because we want to sit on two chairs, one in church, one outside. But, you know, there is bad news, and the bad news is that we cannot sit on two chairs. Because if we do sit on both chairs, then we are lost in church. If we sit on both chairs, then we will be lost in church. We might as well not be here. Because we should stop fooling ourselves and fooling others. And we certainly should stop fooling God because, you know what, you can, we cannot fool God. He sees everything. He looks at our motives. He looks at our hearts. So let's not try to do it. The Bible says in Luke 6.46, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? In other words, if you call me Lord, that that means that you are willing to follow me and obey me. But if you're not going to follow me, then don't call me Lord, because you're not going to follow me fully. In other words, then you will be wasting your breath by saying it. You know, there will be difference in our lives when we give ourselves fully to Christ. That's a fact. And when that happens, people will see the difference in us. There'll be something different about us. Because if they cannot see it, then we should not use the Lord's name. If we are not different, if we haven't changed, don't, don't do it. Don't use his name. You see, people who have never professed to follow Christ should see a difference in us. But more than that, we should be looking for a difference in ourselves. You know, if I gave my heart to Jesus and served him year after year, and if I was not better than when I first started, then I should know that something is wrong with me. Something is not adding. The Bible says in Titus 2, 11 and 12, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we shall live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age. See, God is telling us that we should live soberly, that we should live righteously and that we are to live godly in this present world. But we say, Lord, you don't know how wicked this world is. You just don't know how bad it is. But you know, that's not an excuse. 
because Jesus certainly knows. He grew up in Nazareth. And you know, Nazareth was a rough town on the tried route north. We had the privilege to drive through it a few years ago and see it. You know, Nazareth in Christ's time had a bad reputation. And that is why Nathaniel, when he heard about Jesus the Messiah, said, can any good come out of Nazareth? You see, Jesus grew up in a town where he heard cursings. He constantly smelled the odor of alcohol. And he saw prostitutes walking the streets. And yet among all the wickedness, he grew up pure. He lived right before God. And by the power of God, we too can live right today. There is no excuses, brothers and sisters. No excuse. Because through Christ, we can do everything. He can enable us. In book of Jude, verse 24, the Bible says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. See, the Bible tells us that our God is able. Now, I would not want to serve a God who just tries. Would you? A God that never gets results. But the great thing is that our God is a doer. Our God can make drunkards break their bottle and walk, and walk away sober. He can make thoughtless men to change into caring husbands. So don't tell yourself that you can't make it. Don't tell yourself that you can't do it. Because God's word says that we can do all things through Christ. Amen. We can do that when we make up our mind to live for God and to do his will. It's not just going to happen by itself. We can do that when we make up our mind to live for God and to do his will. But before that can happen, we must start to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says it's a shorter version. Pray without ceasing. Brothers and sisters, are we praying without ceasing? Better still, are we praying at all? Perhaps we do it now and then when we are in a desperate situation, when we are sick or we are about to lose our job. But when things are good, we soon forget. But the Bible says, pray, pray without ceasing. I'm sure we're all guilty of that. Now, the Bible says that the prayer is essential. Why? Why is it essential? Because prayer had divided the Red Sea. Prayer had brought the water out of the solid rock. And prayer cooled off Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace. Prayer locked the lion's mouth so they could not destroy Daniel. 
Prayer had stopped the devil in his tracks. Prayer has sobered drunkards. And prayer has made adulterers walk straight. Prayer has confounded atheists and has raised the dead. Prayer is the power line for a Christian. Without it, we can't exist. And if we want victory, then we need to pray in faith. Don't do what I did for a long time. Just pray it off by heart. Always the same. Oh, well, different for different occasions. But it can happen. It can become that. It can become a habit. As my wife says, a cocky prayer. Just keep on repeating it. I'm guilty of it. I've done it. But that's not what we should be doing. It's got to come from the heart. We've got to be connected. It's got to become a line of connection to heaven. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. You know, the important thing is that God doesn't start out helping us and then leaves us to fend for ourselves. He's not going to just give you a little push and say, hey, buddy, you're on your own now. No. He wants, he wants to be with us to the end. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident in this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will what? Will complete it until the day of Christ. Until Christ comes. Until the end. So brothers and sisters, what are we called to do? What are we called to do? We are called to be confident. And to be confident is to be sure. To be sure that God will be with us right through. Apostle Paul is telling us that Jesus will take us all the way. But he will only do that if we are willing. But we say, but I don't know everything yet. I'm only new. But what is important for you is to do what you know. Do what you know already. And to follow what you know to be God's will. Walk in the light that you have received and God will give you more as you go along. <clears throat> you know, already God has given us enough light to save us. But we must walk in that light. And God wants us to follow the light because he is the light. And all that God wants for us that we would be saved in his kingdom. You know, that is my desire also. Not only for myself and my family, but for each and every one of you. But it's not going to just happen. We need to make a commitment. We've got to commit ourselves to follow the light. You know, you can't be half married. You've got to commit to be fully married.
to be with someone. And that's what God expects from us. He expects full commitment. It is a daily decision to give Christ full control and be filled with his spirit. Apostle Paul said, I die daily. You see, Paul had some habits he had to put on the cross. I'm sure we got few ourselves. In Galatians 5, uh, 2.20, Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is the secret. We must die. We must get crucified. And then Christ can live in us. So brothers and sisters, that is the secret. It is a full surrender to Christ and to do his will. And then he will live in us. 1 John 2.6 says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So what's a cheap? We can't just say things. We've got to do things. We've got to live as we preach. You see, there is no point in going to church without that. Without walking like Jesus did, we will be lost. We must make a full surrender and become his followers. And then, and when we do that, we will become like him. We will then form our characters in harmony with the principles of his holy law. <coughs> The Bible calls this process sanctification. Gradual change. Now this work can only be accomplished through faith in Jesus and by the power of the indwelling Spirit of God. You know, when the Holy Spirit dwells in us, then we will feel the promptings of sin. We will see them. We will not like it. Human weakness must become united to divine strength and then through faith, victory is achieved. You know, the scripture shows that the work of sanctification is progressive. It's ongoing. But eventually, it will lead to perfection. In closing, Apostle Peter tells us how it is done. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. And then we go on. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will what? 
you will never stumble. Ellen White says that the work of sanctification is progressive. When in conversion, the sinner finds peace with God through the blood of atonement. The Christian life has but just begun, and now he's to go to perfection. To grow up unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Hard words? Can it be done? I'm sure it can. Otherwise, the Bible is not true. Brothers and sisters, I pray for myself and I pray for you that today, right now, we will decide to become Christ-like. Let's leave our hypocrisy aside. Let's leave the life we've been living till now aside and let's, be, let's get serious. The time is short. You know, some of our church members have gone Passed, passed on. They, we say they sleeping in Christ. We hope they are. Let's not after 40, 50 years coming to church regularly, listening to God's word, listening to people, preachers of all sort, be told on the end, I don't know you. That will be a disaster. So I invite you this morning, Take God's word seriously. Take your life seriously. We only have one life. You know, tomorrow we might not be around. And you know what? It's gone forever. The opportunity is gone. Today is the day. May God bless us. And may he help us. But at the same time, it is our choice. We need to decide. Amen.